0: With 80 plus episodes in the vault, and more than $3 billion in total compensation increases received by the Secrets Village, KP and PR are still dropping jewels. Secrets continues to validate that you are not crazy with the challenges faced in trying to reach and exceed your career aspirations. A listener describes Secrets as helping to pinpoint areas I need to develop in conversations I never knew I needed to hear. And Season 5 will definitely not disappoint as they continue to deliver secrets on how to advocate for your how to become a better ally, and how to increase your market value by building generational wealth. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have paid their dues to reach the top of corporate America, and they want to share their stories with you to transform your journey. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season five
1: hey everybody welcome to secrets kp my brother what is happening today what's on your mind
2: i'm doing all right pr what's going on and you know i've been thinking about how the fact that we've been very fortunate to work in some so-called sacred industries where there's not a lot of us in the room and in leadership positions and some of those industries like private equity high tech and med tech and aerospace that we've worked in there's just not a lot of us there at the end of the day. And I don't want to speculate on why that is, what has just been taboo for folks like us to have those leadership positions. But because these sightings are so rare, it does place some responsibility on us, you know, to show up and be present and to move the needle, if you will, and be in places to be able to mentor and sponsor folks along the way.
1: Yeah, I won't speculate either, KP, but you're like extremely... Correct, you know, that we've been blessed, man, to just be in just to be a part of some of these sacred industries, so to speak. You know, when growing up and your parents say, Boy, that's a good job, you know, like make sure you stay at that job and you you do this, that, and the other. But these are it comes at a cost, you know, sometimes here. And while also not just being at the companies in those sacred industries, like holding major titles. So to many of us in our families, we talk about this all the time, Keith. We went pro. You know, like when you're in these sacred industries, you know, it's like going pro. And to be honest with you, that's how we came up with the term purple unicorns, right? Because it's something that you never really see. But the crazy part about being black or a BIPOC professional being excluded from many of those industries that you mentioned earlier, is that women have also been marginalized as well when it comes to leadership opportunities. So if women have been denied opportunities in these sacred environments, we already know what the sum total for representation for Black and other women of color is. It's like nil
2: to zero. Exactly. You ain't said nothing but a word. (laughs) And you and I speak about these uh, representation issues like every day and what we do know is is that things have not and probably will not change until the revenue or the bottom line of that company gets impacted because of some of these issues then it'll be time to raise your hand and step up and like oh crap we got to do something about this representation stuff but if it ain't hitting the bottom line of that top line it's a little hard for it to change and in industries like gas and industry and aerospace and financial services tech just to name a few of those industries, right? There hasn't been much of an incentive to like move the needle. Which is why mm-hmm. the representations numbers look the way that they do in those industries and the power structures continue to remain the way that they are. So when we see somebody who's kind of ascended to those top le- levels, who looks like us, you know, we have to celebrate those successes. And today, Secrets listeners, that's exactly what we're going to do. We are very fortunate to have a guest with us today whose story and passion to succeed in her career without a doubt will motivate us all. We're happy to have our sister Cara Nightingale with us today. She's a founding member of Chief and current board member of Atlas Motor Vehicles in the virtual building with us today. So PR, I'm handing it over to you today. I don't know. Normally I do the bios, but i, I feel feeling some kind <laughs> of way. But I'm going to let you put a little shine and a little stank on it today. It's going to be all right. <laughs>
1: I would love to bring her to the virtual stage. So, Karen Nightingale brings a wealth of knowledge and leadership in her 20 plus years of experience leading global and national corporations in a variety of industries. So, again, we're talking about the diversity and scope and scale here. Karen's unique corporate experiences include investment banking, aerospace, autonomous robots and aircraft, and EV technology. So again, we're talking about this purple unicorn again here. But just a few of her previous roles include the director of corporate development at Boeing, chief financial officer for liquid robotics and Whisk aero Karen graduated from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania with a bachelor's degree in economics. So she know how to count money, y'all. Okay. She then received her MBA from Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. As Keith stated earlier, she is a founding member of Chief, a private network built to drive more women in positions of power and keep them there. And one more noteworthy cog in the wheel, Karen was also recently named to the board of directors for Atlas Motor Vehicles, where she recently was seen on Wall Street ringing that bell with the other executives at uh, Atlas because they just had their public offering. And this sister has always, always, always been so passionate about lifting up the voices of the systemic oppressed in corporate America. Secrets Village, you know, we try to make it do what it do on this show. So Karen, my sister, my friend, my confidant, I hope I did you right with that intro. Welcome to the show, sister. Wow. Wow.
3: Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, that was a very (laughs) warm welcome. And I am very excited to be here. I will say, Ricky, that you neglected to mention one of my passions. I'm a former hooper. Yeah, right. you know I was get right. to it. <laughs> I played basketball my whole life and it definitely shaped, you know, who I am and how I show up to play at work.
2: So, all right, all right, Ricky, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. That was a pretty good intro. We may let you go. Yeah, it yeah, before. yeah. He's my beginning the <laughs> <soon. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Karen. And in this episode, we'll talk with Karen about her story and career journey. We'll discuss the lack of gender and ethnic diverse representation in finance, in particular, in corporate America, and how that plays out. We'll provide some receipts on the lack of women and ethnically diverse representation in sacred industries within corporate America. And we'll close out today with a double dose of secrets from Karin on how to increase your visibility and gain sponsorship in your current role, and how companies within these sacred industries can build and expand their efforts to develop and recruit and maintain and retain underrepresented employees for executive leadership roles.
1: So now, current Karen, what we do oftentimes when we get ready to start our show, we want to make sure that people understand who they're talking to. So we'd like to start out these interviews so our secret listeners get some insight on you. So can you take Just a moment to bring our listeners up to speed on who you are. What was your upbringing, your educational background, your career journey? Like, we want to turn it over to you. So let us know. We know
3: you. Let the people know you. Well, thank you for that. The who am I, I think, is really important because my upbringing has shaped my entire career. So I'm going to have to take you all the way back to the OH Dime better known as Ohio, O-H-I-O. I I grew up in a small town called Springfield, Ohio. It's your typical Midwestern small town. I'm from a family of seven. My parents had five of us kids. So I have two brothers and two sisters. My father grew up in that town, but he moved my mom there. They actually met in England. My dad was in the Air Force. My mom was in nursing school there after she left Guyana. South America. So my family is from Guyana. And so after they met, my dad did a couple tours in Vietnam. He studied at Hampton, never finished college at that time. And my mom didn't have a college degree either, just a nursing degree. So we're in Springfield, Ohio. We live in an all-white neighborhood on the north side of town, which is the wealthier side of town. And my parents were very intentional about making sure that we were surrounded by prosperity, that we had the best educational opportunities and that we were given every opportunity that privileged people had, but we were not privileged. I mean, I'm telling you, they did this with no money. My father was a supervisor at General Motors at a factory, my mom was a nurse. I remember when my dad got laid off when I was a child and went back to school, he went to Central State University and HBCU in Ohio totally switched careers, became a special education teacher. After he graduated, my mom went to Central State. She got her bachelor's degree. You know, my mom now is a doctorate of divinity and everything else, but we as children witnessed their educational journeys and fight to improve their lives through education. So all of my siblings were super bright. By the time I came around to elementary, middle school, high school, the path was set. For me, that I was gonna be in all the gifted classes. I was gonna be in the AP classes. But the one thing is I was always either the only or one of the few, if not the only black kids in my class. And my father just kept saying, keep your eye on the prize. You're gonna do amazing things, much bigger than what Springfield, Ohio can offer you. We spent our vacations doing, it was either educational things or church. Right, we're visiting museums, visiting college campuses. And I remember one summer, I was probably in the fourth grade or so, and we were taking my cousin John around to visit colleges. We visited the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I love American history, so I saw the livery bell and Independence Hall, and really what blew my mind was the food trucks. I was like, they have food (laughs) on the street. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. Food on the street. I'm from Springfield. And I'm like, wow. So I was like, I'm coming here. This is where I'm coming. That was a, a very formative experience. And then, you know, my first plane trip, I don't think I ever told you this, Ricky, but my first, the first time I was ever on a plane was to go to the Bay Area, San Francisco. My parents sent my brother and I, Michael, to see my cousin Maceo graduate from Stanford. So really during my formative years, I was constantly surrounded by academics. And my siblings, they are rock stars, Duke, Dartmouth. I had another sister who went to Penn, Miami Ohio. So all of us had really great educational opportunities. And my parents always preached that we needed to have a profession, be a lawyer or be a doctor. But I got to Penn and I was surrounded by so many smart Black kids, I was actually intimidated, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But I was really just happy to just finally not be the only one. But when I got to Penn, people already had internships. And I was like, damn, how'd they do that? <laughs> I felt behind before I even started. And so that's actually how I learned about an organization called Inroads. Mm-hmm. And so Inroads takes talented minority youth puts them in a corporate setting, starting in high school. So I applied, and that was the source of my internships during my college years. So after Penn, I left. I went to Chocolate City, our nation's capital, and I worked at the Federal Reserve Board. I thought it would really be a differentiator for me just getting a different perspective of the capital markets than most people get. And I was there during the Alan Greenspan years where he would say something and the markets would move. I still remember when he said irrational exuberance and then the markets just moved. So I did that and I knew that I eventually wanted to get into investment banking because 100%, I just wanted to accumulate money quickly, pay off debt. And I really did think I was gonna be retired by the time I was 40. (laughs) That did not happen. (laughs) After the Fed, I went back to business school at Dartmouth, middle of nowhere, because I wanted to get into investment banking at a higher level than just right out of undergrad. So I worked at Merrill Lynch in New York as an investment banker. I had a great experience there, but I was really looking for something different. So moved to Chicago. I was an investment banker in Chicago. I worked for a company called BMO Capital Markets. I started there in the mergers and acquisitions group. So doing mergers and acquisitions across a number of different industries. And then I transitioned to become focused on food and consumer. And I was a banker. I continued to do mergers and acquisitions work in the food and consumer industry, but then I also did equity and debt offerings. And so then, as most people do, I got burnt out, and a recruiter came knocking, asking about my interest in working at Boeing. I was in Chicago at the time, so I was like, oh, Boeing, okay. But I had never done anything in aerospace ever. So got there. When I interviewed there, I met a guy from Tuck. I met a guy from Wharton, and they were both former investment bankers. And I was like, okay, God's giving me the sign. It's time to go to Boeing so at boeing i was like their internal investment banker so i did acquisitions divestitures established joint ventures and then at the end of my time there i helped make all of the initial investments for their newly formed venture capital arm called horizon x so i helped build up that venture capital arm and then i heard of the cfo opportunity at liquid robotics so Boeing had had relationships with this company, and then Boeing acquired it, but they were going to leave it as a standalone company. And I basically raised my hand and asked if I could be included in their CFO search process. And so that was the start to my Silicon Valley journey. I was fortunate enough to get hired by them, became the CFO, had a lot of responsibilities, kind of CFO, COO. And then um, my next company was Whisk, and literally I followed the CEO at Liquid Robotics. I followed him to Whisk, and obviously that's where I'm at,
1: Ricky, the best HR professional in the world. Okay, but yes. go ahead, keep going, we'll my, keep going. my favorite go
3: CTO of all time, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And now I'm I'm trying to start my own company. I just started this board journey, so. That's a little bit of a nutshell of, of who I am and, and how I got to be where I am today.
2: That's amazing. I'm just going to say, you bad. You bad.
3: <laughs> that girl got talent. That
1: girl got talent, man. Bad. <laughs> but, but wait a minute. We're talking Ivy League schooling, Ivy League education, trying to compete yeah. with your yeah. siblings. We're talking about that stuff, like coming in expecting to get what you're supposed to have. Like we're talking about being raised that way and having it in your DNA.
2: Absolutely. And having that background, you're supposed to have it all at the end of the day. And there's still a lot of people who don't get it all. When I was listening to your story, which I love because it was so rich and, and has a lot of layers to it. One of my best friends actually went to central state. And so when I lived in Ohio as part of my career in Toledo, of all places. Me and him used to go down to the Central State homecomings every year, so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I've been in Wilberforce on the campus, having a good time, (laughs) partying it up. So I appreciate that. And I'm curious, just as part of your journey, obviously being a black woman climbing a career ladder, that isn't the easiest thing to do. And then particularly as a finance professional, I understand that totally. There are so few of us in finance that that adds a whole extra layer Um, to being in in that field of work. And so did you ever feel like you had to be twice as good in order to succeed and get ahead versus your colleagues who had the same credentials?
3: Yeah, you know, I always felt like there was a magnifying glass on me. And I probably had one on myself as well. But, you know, I felt like everything I did was scrutinized. But really, the mistakes were highlighted more than the wins right? And that really drove me to be a perfectionist. Even to this day, if I'm sending an email to somebody important, I'm like, okay, let me do spell check. Spell check again. I check it five or six times before sending because I don't want any mistakes in my work. I know that everything I do is reflective of who I am. And for for better or for worse, that's just, that's how I've had to live my life.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I know for myself, I did a lot of the same things too. And, and it in some ways makes you a little bit risk averse. You know, you see your colleagues out there like making these leaps and bounds and, and doing some things and getting these opportunities and you're going maybe at a little slower, you're still moving pretty good, but still a little slower. Did you ever feel that also just in terms of that experience? Yeah,
3: I did because I had to be more careful because any misstep was gonna set me back a lot farther then it would set somebody else back. And so it was constantly watching my steps, watching what I said to people all the time. So yeah, it was it was definitely a part of, of my formative years, for sure.
1: Can we talk about like the risk aversion and the struggle to kind of break through? And you know, Keith and I speak regularly about some of the unspoken challenges. And Karin, you and I speak about this stuff too, that we've had to face like in corporate America with respect to, Microaggressions and in some cases macro, you know, aggressions. Right? they really not even hiding it. That also, you know, lead to like these toxic relationships of these environments. And in these sacred industries, these issues can be magnified like tenfold, right? Because you should be lucky or happy just to be included, and now you want to bring up some shit. Basically, you mm-hmm. Can you speak to us about some of the challenges that you've had in your career that fall within these categories? And like on the flip side, what were like one or two like triumphant moments, you know, for you as you kind of think it through? Mm
3: -hmm. When I was in investment banking, I had a work husband. You know, everybody has a work wife or work husband. So I had a work husband and we got along well, like this was my boy is a white guy. And after I started having some successes and have people requesting to come and to work with me. He would joke around and he would joke around about me and this other woman saying that we were mistake hires that turned out well. Now, I I love this guy, but that is that is the battlefield that I was playing on my work best friend calling me a mistake hire.
1: Like I'm playing, no. But seriously, you know what I'm saying? Stuff right, like, right, like, right. just kidding, not really. <clears throat> you know, right? <laughs> like,
2: your You're the affirmative action girl, right? Right.
3: <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I think back about that at the time. You know, like, what am I going to do? He's saying it in a group of all majority white males who i worked with and i was one of them at that point but still it was just like wow is that how they talked to me about me before like i really started to like gain some traction on the flip side you know i would say one of the biggest and best triumphs i had started in investment banking because i was tapped to be what's called the staffer and so that position you're kind of like a player coach you decide like who gets in the game at what time. So in banking, it's like a coveted position because you basically decide who works on what projects. And from my perspective, the bank just had glaring discrepancies on which people got to work on which projects. Now they go to Morehouse to recruit or they go to Spelman to recruit and they bring in these people and then they sit them on the sidelines. And I was like, you know what? You're getting in the game. You're yeah. playing." Yeah. So I just made it fair. I put minorities and women on the high profile deals or deals that would help round out their experience. And I just remember there were so many people who may have just had a bad experience on one project or didn't get along well with like, managing director on that one thing. And then they got labeled. Yeah. Labeled. And so I made it a point to also like, okay, that person's working on my team. And more often than not, those people performed, did well, knocked it out of the park. But you know why? It's because they had somebody cheering in their corner. They had somebody who was like, slate's clean it's yeah. your time to like shine right now forget what everybody else has said slate's clean with me let's go and they went you know and then it t- came time for review time and it's so interesting because the high performers were always the high performers The low performers were always the low performers not this time because there was parity and yeah. those low performers became higher performers because they got the opportunities that they never would have gotten. Before. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's that whole kind of sponsorship, mentorships, the piece that we talk about it, and reaching back and bringing us along when we have that opportunity, because that's the only way a lot of the stuff is going to change. And I think Rick and I both resonate with your story of kind of being in that fishbowl under the microscope, being looked at like, do you really deserve to be in the room kind of thing, right? <laughs> you know, we've all had those moments, but at the end of the day, we've all found a way to succeed and bust through that stuff. So I'm just wondering for you, what was that first moment when you're just like, I got this. I'm good. and y'all in trouble now if you think you're going to mess with me? Well, we know when you got that position, they made you be the, the when you were
1: passing out assignments, that was like, ah, shit. Here yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know <we> go. Damn. <laughs> yes, that was definitely one of those
3: moments. Recently, you know, I just think. For me, this recent appointment to a public company board, it also made me feel that way because this board work, it is so hard to get your foot in the door. This is an institution where a long time ago, some probably majority white men were like, oh, I'm gonna retire, how do I make money now? Oh, why don't I just give a company advice and get paid $200,000 a year for it, right? To me, that's one of the last bastions of just like that hard to penetrate network that once you penetrate it, then you have more opportunity. So now I think, you know, I have recruiters in my ears and like people following up now. Oh, you're on a public company board. Oh, you're the audit chair. You know, you could just do board work for the right. You don't even have to have another job ever. And I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> no, the tune is totally changed.
2: So, I mean, yeah. Sorry, I mean, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. But again to your point though, this comes from like non-stop grinding in your career, right? This comes from networking and trying to do the best you can with minimal resources and trying to like like my grandmother would say this is equivalent to turning shit into sugar. Sometimes yeah. you know what I'm saying. Like <laughs> this is exactly this is exactly what you're doing. But you we've always been conditioned to take the meager resources, whether that be with food, whether that be with jobs, whether that be with the people, and we have to turn it into something. So I look at that as saying you were extremely qualified to be. In the positions that you've been in and probably in the conversations you and I've had, probably stayed a little too long, you know, in some of those positions because you thought you needed to check so many boxes. But what was like the culminating event for you that led to you like being able to feel comfortable betting on yourself and leaving your role without actually having another role in your back pocket? What made you feel like, you know what, now is the right time for me, or I think I have enough to be able to get to
3: the next level? Yeah. This is going to sound cheesy, but you know, I always, I feel like I have always been divinely led to where I should be. And my family is a praying family. So I know that whatever I do, I'm going to be okay. And I actually had an offer from a company and it just didn't materialize. It it went away. When that happened, I thought to myself, just like what you're saying, like I have been grinding and grinding and grinding. And I haven't had a break my entire career. So I was like, give yourself some grace. And my husband was like, you know, cause I was commuting back and forth from Arizona to California and like doing all, like he was just like, take a break, sit down. He was like, girl, why? Yeah. <laughs> that was, girl, why? Exactly. <laughs> Literally, this has been like the year of my life. Like anything that I have wanted to do, I just go do it. So my husband calls it 2022, the year of car. He's like, you going at it again, huh? Where are you going <laughs> this week? You partying <laughs> with who? You doing what? So, yeah. I've done everything that comes to my mind. I'm just doing it. Life is short. And I'll get another job when I get another job. And if I get another job. If, we'll yeah, my-
1: yeah. I was going to say if, yeah, if, <laughs> if.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good segue into like our, my final question, our final question we have for you, because, you know, you've been real intentional, obviously, about your career up until this point and having that intentionality is important, but you're kind of letting some of that that go now. So what's kind of next for you and, and what kind of projects are you working on right now that you could share with folks?
3: Yeah. So right now I'm actually working to co-found a business and the business is focused on advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in business. I mean, I've had so much support from en the consortium, like all of these institutions that are all just trying to fight the fight of just enhancing and increasing diversity in business. And so I'm joining that fight and hope that our company can be a resource so that the world looks more representative in business as it does on the outside.
2: No, that's amazing.
3: Yeah, yeah. Hey, look,
1: I mean, we, we are going to be here to be a part of whatever you got, you know, going on. I mean, we're just excited to be able to bring your story to the public, you know, and to be able to get more people included in your journey. You know, sometimes me and Keith get accused of just highlighting stuff and making things up. And this is the part of the show when we actually give out some receipts right like so the receipts if it wasn't for the receipts there wouldn't be a secrets right so we're what we're hoping here is that people don't think that we're sensationalizing things here karen so today we are going to provide some receipts you know for the secrets village on the lack of women and ethnically diverse representation in some of these sacred industries within corporate uh, america So, Keith, why don't you hit us with uh, receipt number one?
2: I will. And before I jump into the receipts, I just want to put in a quick plug for the consortium. So, that's the Consortium for Graduate Study and Management. That's the way to get your MBA paid for if you're Black or Hispanic. You get to go to a top 25 business school and get it paid for. So, if you want to... Get in the business and get it paid for. That's a way to do it. But anyway, I digress. Receipt number one. (laughs) Receipt number one. According to the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Report, female talent in finance still remains one of the most untapped business resources in the world while women make up more than half of the entry level finance workforce in the united states only about six percent of the top public financial institutions have women in senior positions and only 10.5 percent of black women make up the financial sector when you look at it as an industry and a profession
1: I mean, that's equivalent to, you know, if you're using both hands to count something. We on one hand, man. You know what I'm saying? When you're talking about 100 percent of the population, we're talking less than 10 percent here. Like that's kind of glaring, you know, to say the least. So look, receipt number two here. Finance is all about managing money, managing the dollar bill. And people get real funny. When it comes to who's actually managing the money, okay? For, for, forget about the credentials. We're just talking about who in terms of what they look like and all of that. The same World Economic Forum report showed that less than 17% of senior positions in investment banking are held by women. And there remains a strong bias against women in leadership roles in this industry. To pile on, because, you know, I'm, I'm going to kick them when they down, to pile on, only 2% of investment assets and mutual fund assets are managed exclusively by women. Now, that is the epitome of a sacred industry, right? And what they're hoping is people like Ricky and Keith don't cause a havoc or bring up the smoke. But you know how we get down, Keith. We're going to tell it.
2: Right. <laughs> you know, so we we there's smoke, there's fire. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Carl, I'm sure you experienced that when you went into investment banking. You didn't see nobody looking like you. Nobody. Not managing money.
3: Nobody. <laughs> no, no one.
2: <laughs> and receipt number three Corn Ferry did a study to see where women in finance landed once they reached the C suite. And it found that. Women who have financial backgrounds, 6% of them became a CEO, 12% became a CFO, 18% became a chief information officer, 36% became a chief marketing officer, and 55% of them became the chief HR officer. So these are women in finance who have financial backgrounds, and this is where they landed in the C-suite. Right? And we've given receipts before that show that nearly 50% of CEOs were either the CFO or they at least were a divisional CFO at some point in their careers before moving into the CEO role. But we move women in finance into the chief HR role or into the CMO role. We're not moving them into the CFO or the CEO role.
1: Yeah. The smell test, the smell test, (laughs) the smell test. Now, I'm not saying I'm the most sane person, but that right there does not sound right to me. Right.
2: (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, that does not seem right. Even if you have the experience and have the credentials, you still can't get into the roles that's going to get you to the very top.
1: Yeah, and we're talking like, and look, we're over here talking to, to a real Purple unicorn over here, right? We're talking to a real purple unicorn in corn. okay? So look, receipt number four. I'm going to take it easy on this time. I'm lying. Okay, receipt number four. <laughs> According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, women account for 51.8% of all workers employed in management, professional and related occupations. Women in specific occupations within this large category it varied. So for example, 18.7% of software developers, 276 of chief executives, and 36.4% of lawyers were women. Okay, whereas 88.9% of all registered nurses, 80.5% of elementary and middle school teachers, and 61.7% of accountants and auditors were women. I mean, come on now, like, where are we trying to steer people to, you know, here when you really look at it. By industry, women accounted for more than half of the workers within several sectors, education and health services at 75, almost 75 percent. Other services like personal and laundry services, membership associations and nonprofits, it was at 53.9 percent. Financial activities, just over fifty percent, and leisure and hospitality, it's fifty one point two percent. Women were underrepresented relative to their, to their share of total employment in manufacturing, twenty nine percent; agriculture, twenty six; transportation and utilities, at twenty four; mining at fifteen percent, and construction at ten percent. So I'm just gonna pause because you can drop the mic on that receipt. You know, alone there is where are they trying to steer women to? You know, and we talk about these sacred jobs, these sacred industries, they don't want you in there. It's one thing to say you don't want the women, you know, in there, but then you try to act like you're doing these performative acts. But it's another thing when we start bringing ethnic diversity, you know, into this. This is much harder than what it really seems. And I can tell you personally, from trying to influence change at the highest levels in some of these organizations, they don't want you doing it <laughs> sometimes. And that's a reason here when you look at the receipts. Karin, I mean, I know th- these are quite a few receipts that we put out there, and I see you over there with a drink in your hand, girl. How are you responding when you when you think about these receipts that we talked about? Does this connect some dots for you? Does this make sense?
3: Yeah, and these statistics are part of why I'm working on this business. Yeah. You know, if people don't know by now that having a diverse workforce is not just the right thing to do companies that are diverse have a financial advantage over companies that are not. So another receipt is, you know, McKinsey. McKinsey has been doing this study, I think since like 2014. Mm -hmm. So they did one in 2014, 2017, 2019. And so they've been collecting all this data for eight, nine, 10, however many years. And, Not only is the data still showing that diversity produces better financial results, the discrepancy is getting worse for people who don't. Yeah. And so at some point, it's going to hit people in the wallet, in the pocket. That's what has to happen for it to change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's, yeah.
3: It, that's all that matters.
1: No, absolutely. Which is a perfect segue into us coming up with some secrets for folks. Right. Because what we try to do on our show, you know, is to make sure that we leave people with a bit of a call to action, you know, with something that they can do to influence change. So we have a double dose of secrets for you today. Karin will help us provide three secrets on how to increase your visibility and gain sponsorship in your current role if you are an employee, right? And you want to be seen. And then we'll close out the episode with three additional secrets from Karin on how companies within these sacred industries can build and expand their efforts to develop and recruit underrepresented employees for executive leadership roles, okay? Like, it's one thing to recruit. It's another thing to kind of set them up for success. So, Karin, what would you recommend for increasing your visibility and gaining sponsorship in your current role to our many secrets listeners who are listening right now?
3: This first one, I think, is going to be it can be painful. (laughs) Go to the happy hours. Go to the Christmas parties. All the networking events like go to Susie's house and have some. Unseasoned chicken. Like do it. <laughs> do it. <Woo! laughs> that's how majority circles get to know you. They feel more comfortable with you outside of work. And then they become more comfortable with you inside of work. So that's that's number one. Go to the happy hours. Number two, I would say now you guys, I think you guys have been always talking about this, but recruit your own board of directors. Create a network of supporters who know you, who know what your career goals are and are willing to help. And so you have to be open. You have to be outgoing with people and just help people understand. Because I've never approached anybody who said they don't want to help me. If I say I need help, Any person who looks like me has said, I will help you. And so we got to recruit and build that board of directors. And you have to constantly keep them updated, be in touch with them, share your successes, share your failures, and they'll help you. They'll help you get through and climb in your career. And then the last one, I just think it's similar to the board of directors, but you have to be invested in your own success. Have a relationship with your boss ask for feedback, be open to constructive criticism. There is an employee at my last job who was constantly just asking for feedback. And I'm like, wow, okay, you wanna have another conversation? But it works, right? And so if you just finished working on a project, ask people how they liked working with you, whether there are areas that you can improve in, so you have to take your own responsibility to be invested in your success. So those are my three. Fire! <laughs> I'm
1: trying to tell you. We can, we can stop right there if we wanted to, but, Keith, I think we got some more.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. What is, what is We're going gonna have to have to have you back on the show. She may be a co-host, one so up to two of us. I just want to know what is in that cup. Man, yes. I'm like, yeah.
1: <laughs> What kind of truth is coming out of
2: there? No. <laughs> That's all amazing. Especially the unseasoned chicken part. That was the real truth right there. But she didn't lie though. She See, didn't lie. That was the truth <laughs> of the day. That was the truth. <laughs> Switching gears and just looking at it systemically and what companies could potentially do, what advice would you give the companies, especially within these sacred industries in terms of building and expanding their efforts to recruit and retain and develop underrepresented talent for these executive leadership roles within the companies?
3: Well, number one is going to be, once my company is up and running, use our services (laughs) because we're going to be solving some of these issues for sure. Two, just be open to hiring smart people who may not have the exact background that you're seeking, but have potential. I mean, I went from investment banking to Boeing with no aerospace experience whatsoever. Somebody believed that the tools I had could be used in that job. Everybody else had aerospace experience. You don't need another person with aerospace experience. Like, Bring some different thought in.
1: Yeah, you know, Karin, I mean, that's so important. I mean, I talk to executive leaders, you know, all the time. And what you're talking about in terms of someone who has a proven track record of success. I mean, if you got into some of the best schools, if you worked in some of the, if you've achieved the high level of success, whether that be in sports, you know, academia, whether that be in different industries, I think that qualifies you as having learning agility, Okay, and this would be a pretty good bet to say, this is an easy bet to say, I'm pretty sure this person is going to be successful. They've been successful in many other things, you know, versus they got to fit in this box. They got to have X because when we do that, to your point, we're just saying the hell with diversity, <laughs> you know, to hell with inclusion, representation, like all of those things. So, you know, my soapbox moment, I'll let you continue, Karin.
3: Yeah, no, that's exactly where I was going with it. And then number three for these organizations, like, participate in and sponsor organizations that help develop underrepresented minorities and women. En-ROADS, Twigo, National Black MBA, the Consortium for Graduate Study and Management. There are so many organizations out there that are trying to do the good work to just put women and minorities out there just to put them on a platform so that it's easier for people to see and to like grab onto talent use those networks like be a part of those organizations like there's so much wasted spend and effort in corporations by doing things that just aren't going to work there's organizations are here to help and they work and i'm I'm a product of several of those organizations. So
1: Yeah. No, I mean again, Kron, I just think this is like just excellent, you know, advice. And we run into individuals saying they want to get to the next level, but don't want to do that work that you put in, that you that you talked about. We have organizations that say they want to do it. And it sounds good when you're at the all hands or you're at this big meeting where everybody's listening to you. But it's another thing when you actually turn the money over, when you actually make it a responsibility, you know, of the organization. So I think your your secrets are, are spot on. This is what Keith and I talk about all the time. So appreciate that. So Karin, I just want to say this. I am so, so very grateful humbled that you were able to bless the mic for us today sister you did your thing today you know what i mean like i like i knew you was gonna drop some shit i knew you was gonna drop some knowledge because that's what you do you are that chick right so i knew you was gonna do it but i'm just again just grateful that you were able to come on. So Secrets Village, season five has been off the chain. And Karin, we sincerely appreciate you for being with us today. How can your new Secrets Village, your community of practice here, how can they get in contact with you and stay current with how to support you You know, in your upcoming projects?
3: Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. I might be slow to answer, but I answer, especially if it's actually a personalized note. Once this business is up and running, I'm going to, maybe I'll be invited back. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. There's definitely going to be lots and lots of marketing around that business. And Mm -hmm. hopefully you see me out there soon. Got it. Got
2: it. Awesome. That's awesome. We will definitely help support you in every endeavor that you're doing, especially if you're trying to change the world for our people. And uh, I want to extend my thanks also for you to be on the show today. And if you want to hear more resources on the secrets and the receipts that we share today, especially those things with the consortium and inroads, we're going to have those in our show notes. Just go to the website, look up the episode. They'll be right in the show notes for you. um, So you don't have to go scrambling and looking for them. Because they're really important and they do make a difference. And I'll say that also as a fellow consortium graduate and and some of those other organizations that you mentioned, um, they're super, super important for us in terms of our career.
1: Yeah, no, they really are. We'll make sure that we throw in there. Third good marshall, you know, also like it's just so many good. Organization is doing some great things. So, Karen, you are officially in the Secrets Village, you know, now, right? And our Secrets Village just continues to grow because of you, people like you who want to be on the show and, you know, just come and really have a good time, but also because of our listeners. I know we say this to y'all every week, but please, please help your brothers out by writing a review on Apple or Spotify, joining our LinkedIn community of practice, and commenting on our posts. On uh, your favorite social media channels, those comments help us, and also lets you, you know, be seen as a thought leader. So it's important to be able to do that. And and again, when you make a comment, me and Keith, we on there, we responding to everything, you know, because we want to make sure that everyone's voice, you know, was heard and that we give you the confidence to keep putting your, yourself out there.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And if you want to be sitting at the table with people like Karen we got to encourage you to hit us up and get those coaching services because to date we've been able to get people over $5.6 million in additional total compensation increases by working with us. So we take this seriously and we really want you to get what you deserve because if you got credentials like Karn and you still struggling, we need to talk because there's something wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't be struggling at this point. So again, hit us up for those personal coaching services, training at your organization, 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 provide a referral if you like what we're doing, go buy some merch, the holidays are right around the corner, you know, all the things that you can do to help us out. We appreciate it.
1: And well, again, we want to thank Karin once again for just being uh, with us today. She came with some straight heat today. I mean, fire, right? But I am still waiting to taste one of those culinary masterpieces that you make over the holidays. I I I don't want to be on another call and you telling me what you done did and what you about (laughs) to do. You know I want to be able to taste that myself. So while I refill our empty drinks, I'm proposing that you and Keith have a cookout because he be over there trying to burn too, right? And y'all let me be the taste tester. That's my proposal. Keep looking funny. Keep looking funny. He wouldn't even let me get my thought out. But my point was, you know, I think we need to have a little cook-off over here. So y'all don't need to answer that question right now, okay? Just keep sipping and don't say no. But just think about it, okay? That's all I'm asking, okay? But seriously, Secrets Village, we appreciate you tuning in to Secrets because without you, none of this would be
0: possible. And remember, when we share, you transform.
2: Peace. Take care, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed yet another episode of Secrets. In fact, one listener said that with Secrets, I learn new, actionable information listening to KP and PR. I enjoy the balance of data with the testimony of real experience, and we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please show these brothers some love. Subscribe and write a review on our podcast. And last but certainly not least, elevate your professional game by signing up for our executive coaching services. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Remember, when we share, you transform. Until next time, cheers.